Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, The Vanishing Prince by G.K. Chesterton. Part 3 and Conclusion. He got briskly off the table on which he was sitting, for the only chair was allotted to Sir Walter, and ran rapidly up the ladder to the platform above. He was soon followed by the others, Mr. Fisher going last, however, with an appearance of considerable nonchalance. At this stage, however, they were destined to disappointment. Wilson nosed in every corner like a terrier, and examined the roof almost in the posture of a fly, but half an hour afterward they had to confess that they were still without a clue. 
Sir Walter's private secretary seemed more and more threatened with inappropriate slumber, and, having been the last to climb up the ladder, seemed now to lack the energy even to climb down again. "'Come along, Fisher,' called out Sir Walter from below, when the others had regained the floor. "'We must consider whether we'll pull the whole place to pieces to see what it's made of.' "'I'm coming in a minute,' said the voice from the ledge above their heads, a voice somewhat suggestive of an articulate yawn. "'What are you waiting for?' asked Sir Walter impatiently. "'Can you see anything there?' "'Well, yes, in a way,' replied the voice, vaguely. "'In fact, I see it quite plain now.' "'What is it?' asked Wilson sharply, from the table on which he sat, kicking his heels restlessly. "'Well, it's a man,' said Hornfisher. Wilson bounded off the table as if he'd been kicked off it. "'What do you mean?' he cried. "'How can you possibly see a man?' "'I can see him through the window,' replied the secretary mildly. "'I see him coming across the moor. "'He's making a beeline across the open country toward this tower. "'He evidently means to pay us a visit. "'And considering who it seems to be, "'perhaps it would be more polite if we were all at the door to receive him.' "'And in a leisurely manner the secretary came down the ladder. "'Who it seems to be?' repeated Sir Walter, in astonishment. "'Well, I think it's the man you call Prince Michael,' observed Mr. Fisher, airily. "'In fact, I'm sure it is. I've seen the police portraits of him.' There was a dead silence, and Sir Walter's usually steady brain seemed to go round like a windmill. "'But hang it all!' he said at last. Even supposing his own explosion could have thrown him half a mile away without passing through any of the windows, and left him alive enough for a country walk, even then, why the devil should he walk in this direction? The murderer does not generally revisit the scene of his crime so rapidly as all that.' "'He doesn't know yet that it is the scene of his crime,' answered Hornfisher. "'What on earth do you mean?' You credit him with rather singular absence of mind. Well, the truth is, it isn't the scene of his crime, said Fisher, and went and looked out of the window. There was another silence, and then Sir Walter said quietly, What sort of notion have you really got in your head, Fisher? Have you developed a new theory about how this fellow escaped out of the ring round him? He never escaped at all answered the man at the window, without turning round. He never escaped out to the ring, because he was never inside the ring. He was not in this tower at all, at least not when we were surrounding it. He turned and leaned back against the window, but in spite of his usual listless manner, they almost fancied that the face in shadow was a little pale. "'I began to guess something of the sort when we were some way from the tower,' he said. "'Did you notice that sort of flash or flicker the candle gave before it was extinguished? "'I was almost certain it was only the last leap the flame gives when a candle burns itself out. "'And then I came into the room and I saw that.' "'He pointed at the table, and Sir Walter caught his breath with a sort of curse at his own blindness.' for the candle in the candlestick had obviously burned itself away to nothing, 
and left him, mentally at least, very completely in the dark. Then there is a sort of mathematical question, went on Fisher, leaning back in his limp way and looking up at the bare walls, as if tracing imaginary diagrams there. It's not so easy for a man in the third angle to face the other two at the same moment, especially if they are at the base of an isosceles. I'm sorry if it sounds like a lecture on geometry, but I'm afraid we have no time for it, said Wilson coldly. If this man is really coming back, I must give my orders at once. I think I'll go on with it, though, observed Fisher, staring at the roof with insolent serenity. I must ask you, Mr. Fisher, to let me conduct my inquiry on my own lines, said Wilson firmly. I'm the officer in charge now. Yes, remarked Horn Fisher softly, but with an accent that somehow chilled the hearer. Yes, but why? Sir Walter was staring, for he had never seen his rather lackadaisical young friend look like that before. Fisher was looking at Wilson with lifted lids, and the eyes under them seemed to have shed or shifted a film, as do the eyes of an eagle. Why are you the officer in charge now? he asked. Why can you conduct the inquiry on your own lines now? How did it come about, I wonder, that the elder officers are not here to interfere with anything you do? Nobody spoke, and nobody can say how soon anyone would have collected his wits to speak, when a noise came from without. It was the heavy and hollow sound of a blow upon the door of the tower, and to their shaken spirits it sounded strangely like the hammer of doom. The wooden door of the tower moved on its rusty hinges under the hand that struck it, and Prince Michael came into the room. Nobody had the smallest doubt about his identity. His light clothes, though frayed with his adventures, were of fine and almost foppish cut, and he wore a pointed beard or imperial, perhaps as a further reminiscence of Louis Napoleon. But he was a much taller and more graceful man than his prototype. Before anyone could speak, he had silenced everyone for an instant with a slight but splendid gesture of hospitality. Gentlemen, he said, this is a poor place now, but you are heartily welcome. Wilson was the first to recover, and he took a stride toward the newcomer. Michael O'Neill, I arrest you in the King's name for the murder of Francis Morton and James Nolan. It is my duty to warn you. No, no, Mr. Wilson, cried Fisher suddenly. You shall not commit a third murder. Sir Walter Carey rose from his chair, which fell over with a crash behind him. What does all this mean? he called out in an authoritative manner. It means, said Fisher, that this man, Hooker Wilson, as soon as he had put his head in at that window, killed his two comrades who had put their heads in at the other windows by firing across the empty room. That is what it means. And if you want to know, count how many times he is supposed to have fired and then count the charges left in his revolver. Wilson, who was still sitting at the table, abruptly put a hand out for the weapon that lay beside him. But the next movement was the most unexpected of all, 
while the prince standing in the doorway passed suddenly from the dignity of a statue to the swiftness of an acrobat and rent the revolver out of the detective's hand. "'You dog!' he cried. "'So you're the type of English truth as I am of Irish tragedy. "'You who come to kill me, wading through the blood of your brethren. "'If they had fallen in a feud on the hillside, it would be called murder, "'and yet your sin might be forgiven you. "'But I, who am innocent, I was to be slain with ceremony. "'There would be long speeches and patient judges listening to my vain plea of innocence.' noting down my despair in disregarding it. Yes, that is what I call assassination. But killing may be no murder. There is one shot left in this little gun, and I know where it should go. Wilson turned quickly on the table, and even as he turned he twisted in agony, for Michael shot him through the body where he sat, so that he tumbled off the table like lumber. The police rushed to lift him, Sir Walter stood speechless, and then, with a strange and weary gesture, Horn Fisher spoke. "'You are indeed a type of the Irish tragedy,' he said. "'You are entirely in the right, and you have put yourself in the wrong.' The prince's face was like marble for a space, and there dawned in his eyes a light not unlike that of despair. He laughed suddenly and flung the smoking pistol on the ground. "'I am indeed in the wrong,' he said. "'I have committed a crime that may justly bring a curse on me and my children.' Horn Fisher did not seem entirely satisfied with this very sudden repentance. He kept his eyes on the man and only said, in a low voice, "'What crime do you mean?' "'I have helped English justice.' replied Prince Michael. I have avenged your king's officers. I have done the work of his hangman. For that truly I deserve to be hanged. And he turned to the police with a gesture that did not so much surrender to them, but rather command them to arrest him. This was the story that Horn Fisher told to Harold March, the journalist, many years after, in a little but luxurious restaurant near Piccadilly. He had invited March to dinner some time after the affair he called The Face in the Target, and the conversation had naturally turned on that mystery, and afterward on earlier memories of Fisher's life and the way in which he was led to study such problems as those of Prince Michael. Horn Fisher was fifteen years older, his thin hair had faded to frontal baldness, and his long, thin hands dropped less with affectation and more with fatigue and he told the story of the Irish adventure of his youth because it recorded the first occasion on which he had ever come in contact with crime, or discovered how darkly and how terribly crime can be entangled with law. Uncle Wilson was the first criminal I ever knew, and he was a policeman, explained Fisher, twirling his wine-glass, and all my life has been a mixed-up business of the sort. He was a man of very real talent, and perhaps genius, and well worth studying both as a detective and a criminal. His white face and red hair were typical of him, for he was one of those who were cold and yet on fire for fame, and he could control anger, but not ambition. He swallowed the snobs of his superiors in that first quarrel, though he boiled with resentment, 
but when he suddenly saw the two heads dark against the dawn and framed in the two windows, he could not miss the chance not only of revenge, but of the removal of the two obstacles to his promotion. He was a dead shot, and counted on silencing both, though proof against him would have been hard in any case. But as a matter of fact, he had a narrow escape. In the case of Nolan, who lived just long enough to say Wilson and Point, we thought he was summoning help for his comrade, but he was really denouncing his murderer. After that, it was easy to throw down the ladder above him, for a man up a ladder cannot see clearly what is below and behind, and to throw himself on the ground as another victim of the catastrophe. But there was mixed up with his own murderous ambition a real belief, not only in his own talents, but in his own theories. He did believe in what he called a fresh eye, and he did want scope for fresh methods. There was something in his view, but it failed where such things commonly fail, because the fresh eye cannot see the unseen. It is true about the larger and the scarecrow, but not about the life and the soul. And he made a bad mistake about what a man like Michael would do when he heard a woman scream. All Michael's very vanity and vainglory made him rush out at once. He would have walked into Dublin Castle for a lady's glove. Call it his pose or what you will, but he would have done it. What happened when he met her is another story and one we may never know. But from tales I've heard since, they must have been reconciled. Wilson was wrong there, but there was something, for all that, in his notion that the newcomer sees most, and that the man on the spot may know too much to know anything. He was right about some things. He was right about me. About you? asked Harold March in some wonder. I am the man who knows too much to know anything, or at any rate to do anything, said Hornfisher. I don't mean especially about Ireland. I mean about England. I mean about the whole way we are governed, and perhaps the only way we can be governed. You asked me just now what became of the survivors of that tragedy. Well, Wilson recovered, and we managed to persuade him to retire. But we had to pension that damnable murderer more magnificently than any hero who ever fought for England. I managed to save Michael from the worst, but we had to send that perfectly innocent man to penal servitude for a crime we know he never committed, and it was only afterward that we could connive in a sneakish way at his escape. And Sir Walter Carey is Prime Minister of this country, which he would probably never have been if the truth had been told of such a horrible scandal in his department. It might have done for us altogether in Ireland, it would certainly have done for him. And he is my father's old friend, and has always smothered me with kindness. I am too tangled up with the whole thing, you see, and I was certainly never born to set it right. You look distressed, not to say shocked, and I'm not at all offended at it. Let us change the subject by all means, if you like. What do you think of this burgundy? It's rather a discovery of mine, like the restaurant itself. 
and he proceeded to talk learnedly and luxuriantly on all the wines of the world, on which subject also some moralists would consider that he knew too much. That's the end of The Vanishing Prince by G.K. Chesterton here on Calm Mystery. Calm Mystery is a Murder Mystery Company production, part of American Immersion Theater, Scott Crampton, Executive Producer. Our editor is Audra Schildhouse. If you enjoy Calm Mystery, please take the time to rate us and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. It helps spread the word, and the comments let us know what you like and how we can improve. While you're at it, tell a friend who enjoys a good story, or tell an enemy if you need a distraction, and subscribe if you haven't already. That way you won't miss an episode. They'll download to your device when you least expect it. Join us next time for another spine-tingling tale of mystery, mayhem, and perhaps just a little bit of murder. If you enjoy Calm Mystery, please take the time to rate us and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. It helps spread the word, and the comments let us know what you like and how we can improve. While you're at it, tell a friend who enjoys a good story, or even an enemy if you need a distraction. And subscribe if you haven't already. That way you won't miss an episode. They'll download to your device when you least expect it. And in the meantime, stay calm. Mystery is everywhere. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.